This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined from Fakatani by Mawira Karatai. Kia ora, Mawira. Hey Sam, how's it going? It's going very well. You have an exciting trip coming up. I do. Um, uh, about oh, maybe two years ago, um, I was working with a group of um, amazing women. Actually, both of them we've been we've interviewed here, uh, Tony and Dane. Um, we worked with other people in our community um, to uh, lobby for a change to our local body legislation so that we could have Māori representation as a given. And unfortunately, um, the vote came in, um, and because of a lot of work by Hobson's pledge, we lost, I think we got about seven, uh, 47% of the vote, uh, and it was really devastating for us. But um, the new government has come in, and Nanaya Mahuta has signalled strongly that actually she wants to change that law. Uh, so we are going to Wellington on Tuesday at midday in front of Parliament. We will present our petition to the Minister. Um, and hopefully that will bring about that change we've been looking for. And I'm so excited because I get to take Jack to Parliament for the first time and he gets to be part of that. And as a mum, I just feel like, well, I'm, I'm actually doing okay at mumming. <laughs> 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 when you can do stuff like that, you know, actually you're doing all right. And, you know, that, there's that saying, activism is the rent that we pay for living on the planet. Well, that's the beginning of that for him. So, yeah, it's pretty cool, Sam. And with a bit of luck, you might get into the building. That would be the hope. We're hoping to. Um, Tamati, who we've also interviewed on the show, uh, is meeting us at Parliament as well. Um, our petition will be read in Parliament that afternoon. We handed over it to Al that will be read right then. So we're just blown away and so excited. So, yeah, that's a story for next week too, which is pretty neat. Looking forward to hearing about that. Who are we introducing today? Today is my great pleasure to introduce someone who's really clever, Michael Simmons, one of our colleagues here at Otago Polytech. Um, I've met Michael uh, in our capable team before he went off to exciting other roles, um, and I feel lucky that I still get to work with him now uh, as a peer reviewer, which is really neat. He's a learning and development specialist and a really, really nice man. So welcome, Michael, and thanks for sharing with us today. Sam, uh, lovely to be here and thank you for inviting me into your bubble. Thank you, Michael. How was your bubble life? Um, surprisingly quite pleasant, actually. Yeah, I, I um, never minded being uh, my own company so or the, the close company of my family, so um, I trouble passing the time at all. Mm. Did you work at home? 
Yeah, and again, I probably do, being a bit of an introvert, I probably do my, my best work in a, a quieter environment. As you probably know from the office, Sam, I'm not the uh, noisiest person in the world, so I like to kind of put my head down and and um, and focus in. Um, and you know, I wouldn't say every day I hit a high point or every day was an absolute winner. I got you know there was maybe Thursday or Friday afternoons where I got a little bit lost, but um, or kind of drifted away a little bit, or maybe you know ended up doing a few home tasks rather um, rather than work. But I'd say most of the time I was able to be pretty consistent and pretty productive. And do some kind of deep creative work, and I think you know open open plan offices are fantastic in some ways, but they can be a drain activity in other ways. So I was really determined that this is an opportunity to really get stuck in and do some deep work. And um, yeah, but I actually really enjoyed it. Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have Trinity Roots, Homeland and Sea. Why this one? Um, this was a this. I think this album came out early two thousands. When I left uh, New Zealand for my big overseas journey to Taipei and I was listening to this song as I was coming into land in Taipei, and you can imagine a city of about 5 million people at night, what that looks like in the density of population. And I thought I was landing on an alien planet. And um, this song was reminding me a lot of home. And then it was kind of the close of that chapter and the start of a new one. So, I mean, it's a beautiful song about New Zealand. So.
to a man and my memories in between all of these I would hope my sons to see yeah. but them rules they keep on changing I'll be if I'm gonna play that game pay my dues was there on time you give me them blues You have kids at home. How was the the lockdown for them? Yeah, I think they did really well too. Um, my daughter is a bit of an introvert herself, so she actually was really enjoyed lockdown learning and kept raving about how much she enjoyed it and um, how productive she was. Um, the school, so she goes to St Hilda's in Dunedin here. The school did a really good job of kind of standing up online learning, so she had quite structured lessons and they did a very good job of having a little bit of uh, teacher time and kind of uh, having group facilitation but then leaving them alone to do their own work and things like that so she did great a little bit more difficult my son Samuel who's just eight whereas it's a little bit harder for him to engage online so even things it's a little bit harder to leave him on his own to do the learning Um, and even things like just using the basics of using a computer like clicking and all that kind of stuff he wasn't quite sure of. But um, generally, we did really well. Mm. 
Did you find yourself having to be a, a teacher from home as well as working? A little bit, but not so much. I think probably my wife took the lion's share of the lion's share of that work. Um, the biggest thing I found during lockdown with the kids was just getting them to play outside. Yeah, I mean, we had a we had a new neighbour for, and she was there for about a month, and she's like do your kids live at home or are you separated and they live with their mother or something? I'm like, no, they're alone. And she's like, I've never seen them. You know, I've been here for a month and kids just don't play outside these days. So how did that happen? Because you're the, the, the original sports person. Oh yeah. I think, yeah, my friend explained it to me really well because he's got kids the same age and he's, if he wasn't the one instigating outside playtime, like they've both got bikes. We've got a basketball hoop, a cricket pitch. We've got a chipping area for for golf. So if it wasn't the dads initiating outside play, it wasn't happening. I don't know about you, Mawira, but um, I just find it hard to get them to go outside and play. So you know, that was always the big thing. We've got mountain biking in our household, so as long as it involves a bike um, and sausages at the end of the biking, where it's all on. Good one. Yeah, it's a nice thing all the family can do together. So now it's summer. How did that happen? Are you getting out and playing more sport, doing some coaching? Always, uh, always getting out and playing lots of sport. And um, I guess I have to preface that by saying it's hard to get my kids to go outside and play in their own free time. But my son especially is a bit of a chip off the old block as far as being a sports nut goes. So um, I'm coaching a um, nine-year-old's cricket team at the moment. and. Um, it's an absolute pleasure. So I played reasonably high level uh, cricket and rugby, um, played both age grade for Otago uh, senior levels and um, got really badly injured in my early 20s. I, I, I ruptured my, both my ACLs pretty close together and um, tried to play again and couldn't play. And um, it was really heartbreaking, actually. And so I kind of turned away on the game. All the games that I loved after putting, you know, them, them being the kind of the focus of my childhood or, and adolescence, all I wanted to do was play cricket and rugby. And um, if I couldn't be the best, I couldn't play to a high level, um, I just wasn't interested and I kind of turned my back on the game. So that was like 20 years ago. So now to be back playing, I spent, I think I've spent the last four weeks coaching a um, nine-year-old's cricket team and to be back playing involved with the game that you love. Um, is something really special. It helps too that we've had four nice sunny um, <laughs> sunny Saturday mornings because, you know, cricket in November when it's raining in Dunedin isn't nice. But um, just to see how much they, I mean, I know you're a cricket fan as well. Cricket's such an intricate game and to kind of, I mean, I had to, I play competitive golf on Saturday, so I had to give up golf, my own sport on Saturdays for my son. And I was a wee bit humming and hiring about it, but I've absolutely loved it to be, um, you know, there's something really special about participating in coaching so yeah that's been um it was a decision well made sam yeah did all of the the rules and intricacies come flooding back oh yeah oh yeah i think anything that you do as a child is kind of ingrained in you so i've picked up other sports and i've picked up other languages i've done other i've tried to learn other things as an adult and they're not as ingrained in you, but like I can, I, you know, all the rules come flooding back, uh, all the techniques come flooding back. So, I mean, you do, you know, I would have easily put in my 10,000 hours as an adolescent. So, yeah, just like riding a bike. The, the kids aren't playing normal cricket, are they? It's, it's, a, it's a modified version. 
it's a really cool it's a really cool system that we've got for the little kids it's uh each kid's all about participation and involvement so one of the one of the one of the down parts of cricket if you play in the normal format if you're you know if you open the bat and you go, go out first ball that's kind of it for the rest of the day for you if you don't bowl so it can be pretty makes for um, a long saturday pretty, yeah pretty makes for a very long saturday on the sidelines and questioning why you're doing all the practice but they've got a i mean all sports now i mean they're competing for i mean people are more going back to Talking about my kids at home, people are more sedentary. They've got more things um, that they can participate in. They've got more things competing for their attention. So you see right across the board, sports are all about participation and it's all about giving ki- every kid an opportunity to try batting, to try bowling. If they go out, they just lose three runs and they keep they keep batting. So no, they do, they do a really good job of it. And there's real cricket starting tonight. I know. I'm really looking forward to it. I think, um, you know, to... Do you remember the the you know back in the it wasn't that long ago that you would have between the international rugby season and the cricket season starting to be this hiatus of about you know three or four months and now these sports are just back to back I guess it's the TV schedules um, that require just constant um, constant coverage and screen time um, but yeah West Indies West Indies New Zealand and a, and a long summer of cricket I guess we shouldn't take for granted. The fact that we're allowed to have live sports in New, Ze- you know, international sports in New Zealand with crowds. I mean, are we must be one of the only countries, if not the only country in the world, that's doing that. So, um, yeah, great job, New Zealand. It was pretty excited that first game of rugby back at, um, I was going to say, Carisbrook, back at the stadium. Oh yeah, were you there for it? Yeah, yeah. It felt uh, I was there as well. It almost felt um, quite emotional. Like, yeah, we did this as a as a. Um, as the team of five million, and um, yeah, it was it was special. Definitely didn't take it for granted. You got that sense from the players as well. We kind of, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder. They missed their fans. Their fans missed them, and it really kind of heightened the experience for everybody. I remember feeling quite quite proud and emotional when the players ran out onto the field. So, what are we looking out for in the summer of cricket? I thought, well, I'm hoping there's some going to be some games uh, in Dunedin. I know the. I know the West Indies are here, but I'm not sure who else who else is coming as well. Is it India? I think are down here as well. Yeah, I haven't had a close look. It's hard to follow. It's hard to follow everything um, when you've got you know young kids and a busy job. But um, I, I try to keep an eye on it. But it's not a. I don't have the long term schedule. It seems like there's a few. There's. I'm just looking it up now. There is the West Indies are here, and then Pakistan just before Christmas, and Bangladesh. In March. Yeah. Oh, so India going to Australia, aren't they? There's a big series over there. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou. I'm um, So I really hope you are for as happy this journey to get into be so sustained. Feeling to huge Tahu you are. Triumph nature's art. Perfect. Thank you. So I've had a really wonderful day and hope you all have too. Of course, I'm very excited to talk to you all about it. We're grateful the five of us together each day. Measure me this year. I'd encourage all of you, you have the opportunity to spend five each day, reframe your day into a gift, create off in the hope that it can help and inspire. Them. I would really recommend it, it was so helpful. So, as we know, as a species, we have fascinating consciousness. Indeed, all life has a consciousness, and all life part of one living consciousness. We are co evolving together. And today, I've really, really enjoyed connecting with Papakaya School with the amazing Leslie, wife of Amazing Sam. 
spending time with our wonderful general manager Amanda Simon, new cafe genius goddess Louise, very much, and really just loving all of the power that we share when we direct our love and our out into caring for the world around us. And Papako School doing fantastic work, creating their own bird sanctuary school with lots of native planting. I gave them a peacock bird feeder, and of course Louise is pouring her time and energy into creating a really fantastic sustainable fave for us at Otto. And so grateful to Sam for that connection with Polly. Thanks, Sam. And Amanda, of course, directing her time and energy toward helping Otto flourish far, far into the future. So, and I then had a wonderful meeting with Vicky from the DCC all about this big lighting of the Christmas tree that, of course, is happening on Saturday. And this is very exciting because, of course, there's this huge, most beautiful tree in the universe that's been constructed a series of interlocking metal rings and these beautiful pieces of foliage and gold and red and green beautiful beautiful adornments on this huge tree and right at the top a star and of course all entwined and folded within the foliage lots of lights and they're going to light up about 9 30 at night and i'm very lucky i get to be the mc for it and it's the first time that this tree has been lit up so it's really like the birthday tree i'm super excited and of course i have named her treza but i'm going to ask everyone to give her their own name but for me it was just a really wonderful day of feeling a sense of perfection and of course when i use this word i mean feeling so grateful and that everything is so right and what this tells me of course when i feel this way is that i'm looking after myself in the right way I'm eating what i need to feel this way i'm doing the exercise i'm giving myself all of the all of the things that i need to feel really good and just experience reality as it as it truly is and of course it was a wonderful realization for me as well today that it's a, such a privilege for us with our with our time and with our energy to move between all these layers of existence and experience and consciousness and that the human world which is absolutely brilliant and a fantastic reality of course is one layer and and beneath that human world there's the more than human world layer which previously I've described as the real world the living world the natural world but I can see today that it is another layer that I'm really talking about access a deeper layer so yes i really hope that for you you're having a sense today of all of the connections that surround you you're having a sense of your own power your own ability to care for yourself in so many different ways so that you can reach a point as i have today feeling so grateful and at peace and in the right place so i really hope for you you are enjoying the layers that you're experiencing and i look forward to tomorrow thanks so much you're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Michael Simmons. You say you're busy at work. What are you busy doing? Uh, lots of uh, peer reviews at the moment, Sam. I think I've been, I was uh, on secondment for 18 months and I've been back in Capable now for uh, two months, I think. And in that two months, I think I've done about, about 20 peer reviews of our Bachelor of Applied Management, which is uh, um, basically reading someone's portfolio of their finished product and, you know, making sure everything's there and kind of getting a sec- second set of eyes on it before it goes to assessment. Um, so lots of peer reviews. So I kind of consider that kind of serving my apprenticeship, <laughs> which is a pleasure because you get to read, you know, all these all the, these people's life stories. Um, 
So it is a it is a real uh, privilege, and you get to read about all these people's life stories and all these people's careers as well. Um, and so basically, how capable New Zealand works is um, you'll be allocated, you know, a certain amount of your time is for facilitating with learners and you slowly build up a, a group of learners. So I'm slowly, I'm doing the, the peer reviews and there's obviously been, um, it's assessment time at the moment. So there's a lot of peer reviews to do. So serving my apprenticeship there, but slowly building up my own, um, my own pool of learners as well. So I have about half a dozen at the moment. Um, I think I've got about another half a dozen coming on in December, about another half a dozen in January. So, um, and I've got a few uh, masters of professional practice learners as well. Um, so slowly building those up too. So that's half of my job. The other half of my job is I run learning and development programs with, uh, you know, in private organizations. So I'll go into an organization or an organization will come to me and say, hey, look, can you run us a, um, you know, a workshop series on leadership, management, team development, psychometric assessment, communication, whatever it may be. So I've been running a few of those uh, recently for some Dunedin firms. Um, jack of all trades, master of none, Sam, really. Uh <laughs> We're developing an international um, qualification with the Global Polytechnic Alliance, which is a Tiger Polytechnic, a good friends from Humber College and also uh, Humber College in Canada, Toronto, Canada, and Vier in Denmark. And we're looking at developing, I think you know about this project, but we're developing a, um, a global qualification or a qualification that matches across all three institutions and then they articulate into our Otago Polytechnic's Master of Professional Practice, um, which is exciting. I mean, more exciting is the opportunities for kind of collaborative facilitation, learners collaborating with people from overseas. It looks like it's going to be focused on sustainability, which is a global issue, which is a good one to, to uh, tackle first because these issues, you know, people are tackling the same issues uh, in all corners of the globe. So basically look, looking at aligning three institutions, three nationalities, education systems as well. So It's good that we're collaborating internationally and, and the potential for students to, to collaborate internationally, even if we're not traveling. Yeah, and there's no, like the travel part, like I've run other programs before when students come over uh, to New Zealand and we've had great success with that. And there is... As everybody knows, there's something really special about being in another country and you know immersing yourself in another culture. But that takes obviously at the moment that can't happen. I mean, even if it could, there's still a lot of resource and a lot of barriers to creating equal access for everybody to do that. Um, there's still a lot of benefits. You're not going to get the full immersion experience, but there's still a lot of benefits from collaborating with people uh, in different countries as well. So. Yeah, really excited about that. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of water to go under the bridge about around making sure the mechanics of it will work. What are learning outcomes in Canada? How do we align those with uh, you know learning outcomes in Denmark and New Zealand? And how do we make sure this all meets national requirements, all that kind of stuff? But you know, it's, it's, it's an exciting project. It's probably even more important during the time when we can't travel that we do understand what it means to be a global citizen. Yeah, yeah. Think globally. Think globally. Like focus on global issues. But um, but you know, uh, you're homebound without a doubt. You've been reading lots of the the l learners' work. Our learners are mostly people who are already in work and professionals and have been been doing things for. 20 or more years usually 
as they're writing their their reviews of their practice now, are you getting a feeling of how leadership is being changed or challenged by the the pandemic, by the COVID and the, and the response? Oh, good question. Um, I definitely get the feeling like I think a lot of the a lot of the portfolios that are coming through now have the last bits been written about COVID or COVID's just mm. touched at the end of it. So there's not a substantial amount about uh, the COVID or the pandemic at all, but it's definitely, there's a small amount written and it's definitely created a big impact. Um, there's definitely a lot around, you know, I think a lot of people in those leadership positions really took the the mantle from um, what the New Zealand government was saying or the New Zealand leadership was saying around the importance of support and kindness. I think those messages came across really clearly um, around understanding, around looking after each other, et cetera. Uh, a lot of businesses were put under a great deal of stress. So, uh, you know, a recent one I read was around a large retail chain. And you just think about, well, these essential services like supermarkets and some of the bigger retail chains, well, that's easy. They just stay open, you know. But no, there was a huge amount. There was a huge amount of stress that was caused um, by the pandemic and staying open, even if it was um, even if it was a supermarket or a simple retail store, it was really, really difficult. So uh, it was heartening to read those stories and what a battle it was to work through the pandemic. Yeah. You've done a lot of work in the leadership space, the leadership training space. Do you think our leaders, our community leaders, our business leaders, whoever you've worked with, are in the right space in terms of both the ability to focus on well-being, but also the ability to to for change, for agility? It's a really good question as well. Uh, I think, well, one pattern that I think that I see a lot of uh, that's obvious now is there's there's more women stepping into leadership positions. Um, and without making any too general or sweeping statements, generally women, you know, more uh, more empathetic, uh, more focused on building community, on collaborating, etc. So I think those themes are coming through more strongly. Um, so how do we marry up the idea of well-being with the idea of creating a more productive society increasing New Zealand's productivity I mean New Zealand's traditionally been a really low productivity economy and you look at things like tourism quite low productivity you look at things like uh, farming as well traditionally you know high high intense labor low productivity so what I really wanted to see from some of this funding uh, from the, the COVID response was you know I think building roads, building buildings, building infrastructure. Yeah, that's great and that's necessary and that's, but it's almost like it's the safe thing to do. Whereas I think, what about the investment in, you know, high-tech agriculture or, um, you know, looking at innovation, particularly in the in the STEM industries. So definitely think we've upped our game as far as the the um, empathy, well-being. And I mean, well-being has been a massive issue even well before the pandemic. Um, And you look at it, for example, the farm strong programs in New Zealand farms and the awareness around how difficult farming can be and, you know, what they've gone through recently, the campaigns. A similar thing, less obvious, has happened in construction as well, where the construction industry has been really focused on mental health and well-being, forestry as well. So one pattern that I've seen throughout the different organisations I go to is people have never been busier 
and people have never been more stressed out. So, you know, how's work busy? You know, that's just a normal thing to say now. Whereas I think maybe the pandemic taught us to slow down a little bit and that all this busyness wasn't really productiveness. Um, you know, I hope we can we can hold the lessons of that and make sure we've got well-balanced lifestyles. Um, yeah, there's a Buddhist quote or is it a, a Buddhist list of things and it's like, you know, advice for leading a happy life or whatever. And one thing that stuck in my mind from one of them is um, people should have few duties in order to be happy, you know. And you think about what happened over lockdown and you think, well, what was it about lockdown where everyone kind of thought, I like that. And that was, there was something good about that. And, you know, and it was, we had less to do and there wasn't this need to be busy uh, all the time. So to go back to your original question, I do think we've upped our game in the wellbeing space. And I think there's been, there's a lot of awareness and a lot of talk around this. And I think leaders are aware of the importance of wellbeing. Have we cracked the productivity nut yet? And have we created more, um, have we, what does the future of the New Zealand economy look like? I think it um, it rests in investing in technology, investing in innovation, and I think that goes right back to making STEM subjects at school sexy again, you know, or, or sexy to start with. And I know they're doing a lot of work around, you know, educational programs around engineering, educational programs around technology, sciences, etc. Um, but that's an ongoing issue because it's not something New Zealand students have traditionally gravitated towards and perhaps sorry that was a bit of a long answer and perhaps mixing those stem subjects with leadership and creativity that those things shouldn't be seen as being opposing yeah yeah so you know uh engineers you know Again, bit of a, a sweeping statement, but you know, we'll, we'll generalise just for the conversation. Engineers are usually more interested in things than people. Why can't engineering programs also think about like hu- you know have human centred design or um, focus on leading different personalities or you know understanding well being in the workplace? I think it'll happen. I think it has to happen. I've been trying to think of an alternative um, to the shovel ready projects. If, if we're trying to say we want projects that will have that impact, not just on our physical infrastructure, but on the, the social infrastructure, on the social capital, but we don't have something as strong as shovel ready to describe those other yeah. things. Yeah, that's right. And that's what I'm saying about, you know, building roads and building buildings. You know, that's a good way to get the economy going. Um, but it's kind of the standard playbook and kind of and quite a safe bet. And I guess you're dealing with, billions and billions of dollars, you're going to be less risk averse, aren't you? But it would be nice if there was a portion of it that was focused on whether it was, um, you know, sustainability uh, issues that are going to may not have real impact for 30, 40, 50 years or kind of social entrepreneurship, um, less focus on profit and maybe more focused on looking at, um, you know, well-being in the budget as well. What lessons do you think we can take for those things that might take 30 or 40 years, because they've taken more than 30 or 40 years to do them, to create the problems, for the things like climate change and social equity? What can we take for, for those sorts of problems from the pandemic or the response to the pandemic? I think I think, I think it goes back to what you were saying, saying originally. It's like, well, is how do we create happy communities and how do we make sure people are well in the, in the workplace and have jobs where they feel like they're adding value and that they're adding, that they're fulfilling. 
but they're not totally stressed out all the time and feeling overworked. And, um, you know, I think that's in, entirely possible. And I think if the pandemic, again, if the pandemic taught us anything, it's that we probably need to slow down. There's a lot of stuff in our lives that we do that probably isn't necessary. And I think, you know, technology is probably um, a little bit to blame for it. I think, you know, you might look back in 100 years and say the 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 start of the 21st century was a period where people were really trying to understand how to handle technology. You know, for example, you know, I always think it's really interesting that Steve Jobs thought um, technology, having personal computers, was going to make offices far more efficient and that um, computers were going to take all this workload, we have a paperless office, and all of a sudden everything would become way more efficient. And I think his ultimate vision was that we would be able to focus on higher order things like well-being, morals, values, looking after each other, etc. And because technology would be taking the bulk of the work. Well, I don't think that's happened yet. In fact, I think the, the, the opposite of that's happened in many ways where you look at the problems of society now, a lot of it has to do with we've got too much um, interconnectedness between home and work, um, expected to reply to emails much faster. Like we're, This is a stage in society where we're really grappling with how to use technology properly. Um, and I hope, I hope we'll figure it out. I think that one of the outcomes of the pandemic might be that we do have a look at that, those things that we've been working on about being efficient, because those things aren't very resilient. If we're reducing everything down to just in time and all those sorts of things, then you only need a bit of a, a disruption in the supply chain and, and yeah. it doesn't work anymore. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And over-reliance, I mean, you know, international tourism is fantastic and the tur- international um, New Zealand tourism industry has had a great run for 20 years. I've been lucky enough to be involved with uh, some of the larger companies and seen just the massive growth that they've undertaken. Um but they were they were vulnerable as well. You know, they were always going to be vulnerable if some, if something like this happened. Um, educa- New Zealand's education system over reliance on international students, and I think somewhere along the line, and I know what happened is the tertiary institutions got under underfunded, but it's not only tertiary institutions or not underfunded, but the funding just kind of froze and stayed at a consistent level. Um, Somewhere along the line, all of a sudden, tertiary institutes became for-profit businesses where making a profit was the most important thing. And you'll see, you know, if you don't get the bums on seats during programs, um, your program isn't viable or isn't worthwhile anymore, which is not really what a tertiary institution is supposed to be if you go back to their mandates. I mean, I'm not, I'm a big fan of international education. I just think if you're solely relying on that to find it for financial viability. So things like that, I think, can be questioned and say, you know what, it's great to have huge tourist numbers here, but why don't we double down and look, you know, how do we make our our, um, farming more productive? How do we combine technology into our um, agriculture and horticulture? Let's go back and look at the things that New Zealand does really well and see if we can add value in those particular industries because that's always been the bread and butter of um, New Zealand industries.
was Fat Freddy's Drop Hope. We've seen lots of changes over the last almost year. What do you think will stick and what do you hope will stick? I like the working from home. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like I like I like a few days of it anyway. I think the flexibility around home uh, working has been really great. Um, I myself, I think I said earlier, I really in, I, there's parts of working from home that I really enjoy. I think you can do a deeper kind of different work at home where you can really focus in on a particular issue, you know, very good for creative projects or writing or whatever it may be. I do miss the office. I do uh, miss around being other people. Um, 
So I've been working just one day a week from home, and it's Friday, but I almost feel on Thursday night, even though I know I've got to go to work from home on Friday, Thursday night almost feels like a, huh, a nice relaxed night because I know I don't have to get up and get changed and get into my work clothes and do the commute to work. So um, I think that's created quite a good balance uh, in my life. I think there's a lot of unnecessary professional travel. Like, and again, there's a lot of travel when you go to conferences and they're inspiring, you meet other people face to face, which I think is great. But there's a lot of travel that's not necessary as well that I think goes on, even just like traveling like within your own city. Um, you know, I met I met someone. I'm meeting someone tomorrow for the first time, and it's like, well, do we have to meet in person? Because otherwise, it's going to take me an hour to get you know get in town and get a park, etc. So I hope I hope those things are stick. And you know, I think personally, as a family over lockdown, you know, we um, we kind of came together as a family and we played cards and we played games and um, we hung out and we spent a good amount of quality time together, and um, it felt really good. So I hope that sticks as well. So I have some questions to end the show with and almost negative time to do them. So we just have to be really quick. What is the biggest success you've had in the last year or so? Uh, biggest success I've had in the last year or so. Good question. I, I'd probably go back to the international program that we run. We've had American, uh, Canadian students, uh, even from Hawaii, um, from all over North America, Canada, come to New Zealand to study biculturalism and sustainability. Some of these uh, students, it's the first time they've ever been on a plane. Um, we created that. We created that program from scratch. And just hearing the feedback from these students, basically telling it's a life-changing experience um, from never being on a plane, from being in the middle of America, Nebraska, um, to coming to New Zealand and having their first overseas experience has been um, has been a big success and you know a, a special memory. Mm. I lived in Nebraska for a year, and the the thing the photos that have pride of place in their houses are almost in every house you go into. It's the kids the first time they go into the ocean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that that was the, that was the my big big thing about realizing how different people's lives are oh yeah yeah and uh yeah first time on an airplane it's it's unbelievable and then for them to be out at the karatane marae and hearing you know ron bull talk about um how his mountains and are the ancestors and you know learning about uh, biculturalism and sustainability yeah it's a it's a pretty powerful experience for them so yeah i hope that gets back online um sooner rather than later we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in our team. What is the superpower that's got you into the mansion? <laughs> uh, I don't know if I'm super. I don't know if I'm super at anything. But I think if there's one thing, and this is this isn't. I don't know if this is a superpower. This might sound a bit grandiose, but. I'll always, I've always had a really strong work ethic, right? and I think you learn that from sports. So from sports, you learn if I'm not good at something, I'm just going to work until I get better at it. And I've played lots of different sports throughout my life and been, you know, sucked at all of them to begin with, and just got better and better. Um, and the same thing happened when I had to learn uh, Chinese or when I first started um, teaching. I was terrible, at it and I just worked and worked until I got better. I remember being up, you know, in Taipei City late at night. 10 o'clock at night writing notes on my students or doing my lesson plans and my flatmate was this African guy saying to me what are you doing you know what what, what are you and I said I'm writing notes about my, my students he's like he just looked at me and like you know you're that's bizarre but I was never satisfied with with mediocre so I've always worked and I've always put my students well I'd like to think I've always put my students ahead of me so yeah 
Do you consider yourself to be an activist? An activist? Not at all. No. <laughs> no, I'm pretty. I'm pretty apolitical. My activism probably extends to the to the sporting pitch or the or, or the golf course. Then. Mm. So, what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? I think I've always thought of I've always thought of life as a as an opportunity. So you know, like for example, you can have you know with this group of students today, I could kind of go through the motions and have a pretty average class, or I could work really hard and create a wow experience for them. Um, I think about some things in my life where we've where I've been lucky to have some uh, opportunities and some things have fallen in place for me, and people have made sacrifices for me. So it's around honouring that opportunity. Um, but I mean, since I've been working on the, the Bachelor of Public Management, the Master of uh, Professional Practice, it's like my learners is what's getting me out of bed in the morning. It's like working with these people. And so, you know, I've heard capable capable facilitators talking about how special the learning relationship is. But to, these people tell you things about their lives that they've never told anyone before. And you develop a deep relationship with these people really, really quickly. And it's a trusting relationship and it's a privileged relationship. And then to hear someone's life story and to think about, the opportunity that they have to be better and the opportunity that you have to help them unpack all their knowledge and have this transformative experience. I mean, that's pretty special. So I feel pretty lucky to be to be doing the job that I'm doing. I was going to say that the other thing, the other thing that motivates me is, you know, the responsibility of bringing up two children. And, um, you know, the kids yourself, Sam, what a huge opportunity that is. Um, so just, you know, it's hard being a parent because you've got so many other deadlines to achieve in your professional world. And you don't usually have deadlines related to like, I've got to make my kid a good kid, but I'm aware now that I've got only a small amount of time with my children and I'm trying to make the most of it. So trying to be the best dad I can be is, um, is really important. So what challenge are you looking forward to in the next year or so? Um, next year or so, really, I want to submit my uh, meet myself in capable New Zealand. I really want to see my learners start going through, and um, and I'll have my first learners like having gone through the Bachelor of Applied Management, moving through the Master's program. So I'm really committed to doing a good job of that uh, long term. So seeing it the way through. So that's exciting. I talked about this international program. Uh, that's going to be a huge challenge. So there's going to be lots of work to do there. Um, we're transitioning into uh, Te Pukinga. That's going to be a massive challenge as well. Capable New Zealand's too special not to um, not to warrant attention and for it to be you know subverted into something else or whatever. So um, I'm hopefully well. We're going to do everything we can to make sure that you know Capable New Zealand survives and that we we keep working, uh, being able to do the great work that we do. Mm. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? I think. Rather than advice, I think it's one thing that I've been thinking a lot about lately is, and it comes back to some of what we're talking about, about technology. And technology, you know, in the it's been getting lots of the negative attention of technology has been getting a lot of, the negative effects of technology has been getting a lot of attention recently. The social dilemma, I'm not sure if you saw that. And, you know, the New Zealand, gov- uh, the American government's like, you know, trying to sue all the big Facebook, com- uh, all the big tech companies, et cetera. Um, but I just think, so I've been thinking a lot about technology. I've been thinking, you know, when am I at my happiest? And, you know, the tech companies are very good at getting you to pick up your phone lots and lots and getting you to, you know, getting your eyeballs on their screen. I think, how do I feel after I've picked up my phone for the 50th time for the day or whatever it may be? Or how do I feel after I've kind of been, I've got lost in a YouTube rabbit hole and I usually don't feel great. And then I think about, well, when do I feel great? And I think I feel great when I'm creating rather than consuming. So even if it's creating a meal, cooking a meal, whether it's writing in a journal, 
I consider reading to be creating because you're creating this, you know, you're creating the story within your head. Um, I mean, social media can be creative if you're posting things and inspiring others or, or connecting with others or whatever. But I think if we can get that balance between creating and consuming right um, and make sure we're doing more creating than consuming, I think that's a good place to start to do with well-being and, you know, potentially fear that we're becoming a society full of consumers and there's not enough creators. Mm, we're not doing enough creating personally. So I would advise that's something that I've been thinking a lot about lately. Thank you very much for that. Thank you very much for joining me. You're more than welcome. My pleasure, Sam. And we're going out to 660. Please don't go. But we have to because we need to stop. Should have looked both ways before I let you cross my mind. Didn't see it coming Cause I've never seen your kind Zero to hundred ain't too fast But you had a thousand just like that Yeah, so run that back Cause you so bad Let's do this one more time Until you redefine the game Trying to keep it cool But damn you fire like a flame Every move I make you match You know how to light me up like that Yeah, wish I didn't want it But I do, so won't you stay Please don't go been listening to blowing bubbles positive conversations with people in their bubbles their safe spaces around the world brought to you by the sustainable lens team which is brought to you by otago polytechnic we're broadcast on otago access radio every weekday afternoon at three and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz you can find us on facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts we had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin. We started with Mawira Karatai at Fakatani, but we lost to halfway. And in Dunedin, Michael Simmons. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.